Rocky fans do we have in here? Rocky fans, raise your hand. Right. A few, good, good. Growing up, I loved the Rocky movies. And in my humble opinion, there is not a better underdog than Rocky. And it seems as if in every movie, strangely, this is highlighted, right? No matter whether or not, uh, you know, Rocky's poor, living in the slums, or whether he's the, the champion of the world, he always seems to be the underdog. In every movie, how many are, of them are there now? Like five, six, seven, forty? Yeah. I lose count. Rocky's opponents are always bigger than he is and stronger than he is, right? But one thing anybody knows who has ever watched any of the Rocky movies, they know that there's no one. Apollo Creed, not Clubber Lang for you non-Rocky fans, that's Mr. T. Yvonne Drago, none of those guys have a bigger heart than Rocky, am I right? That's the one thing we, we love about Rocky. There's, there's no quit in him. And one of, my, one of my favorites of all the Rocky movies is Rocky II. Now, I know all the critics like Rocky I, but I'm not a movie critic. And I know he wins in the second one. That's one of the main reasons why I like it. But there's a, there's a, uh, a great scene in Rocky II that, that I love. And it's a conversation that happens between Apollo Creed and his trainer. And I would quote it for you, but I just can't do it justice, so I'm going to show you a clip of it. Check out this clip. I don't know about anybody else, but as long as I'm going to be promoting this fight myself, I want a lot more pressure put on for a rematch. Hey, we can get the same money from two top contenders. Why go after Balboa? Why? Because there's still a lot of people out there that think he won. There's a lot of people out there accusing me of having a fight fixed, accusing me of being a fake and insulting my kids at school. That's why. He's all finished. I mean, he's been hanging around doing nothing for six months. And any trainer worth anything wouldn't have nothing to do with him. Now, I say, let's go after some new meat. Forget this bum. You think I beat him the last time, do you? Hmm? You got the decision. Man, I won, but I didn't beat him. What are you afraid of, Tony? Honest? Yeah, honest. saw no man get beat before, and the man kept coming after you. And we don't need that kind of man in our life. I know what you're feeling. Let it go. Let it go. You're the champ. Don't you love that? Apollo's trainer saw something in Rocky that was got him scared. He was uh, he knew that Rocky was a threat because there's no quit in Rocky. I mean, you can throw everything at Rocky, including the kitchen sink, and he's going to continue to come after you. Well, guess what? What I love about Rocky, it's going to sound funny, but it's true. I love about the Apostle Paul. I do. There is no quit in Paul, is there? During his earthly ministry, he dealt with hard-hearted 
stiff-necked people. And you know what? He continued to preach and teach the Word of God to them. He was put in prison, and guess what? He remained joyful, right? We learned that when we studied through Philippians. He was beaten repeatedly. And at one time, he was drug out of a city and left for dead. And what does he do? He gets right back up and walks right back into town. He dealt with difficulty after difficulty in the churches he planted. And what does he do? He continues to write letters, send leaders, and encourage believers to repent and live for God. There is no quit in Paul, is there? Do you know why there's no quit in Paul? Because Paul patterned his life after the Lord Jesus and sought to be an imitator of God in every way. And guess what we learn about our God when we study the scriptures? There's no quit in our God. Though he at times punishes his people, and as we learn in scripture, he takes some out along the way, God never quits on his people. And let's be honest, we, we've seen this, haven't we? In the church today and in the church throughout history, we've seen God be very patient with his people. Though there have been some wonderful and God-honoring things that have happened in and through the church, there have also been some horrific things that have taken place in his church. But God does not quit on his people, and guess what? Neither should we. Neither should we. This morning we are continuing our, our uh, study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and the first message that Paul is going to give to the church is that we are not to be quick to quit on the church. We're not to be quick to quit on the church. What, what, what Paul is going to do in the first nine verses of this book is he is going to give us the reason why he does not quit on the church and the reason why we're not to quit on the church. Here's the first reason why. Number one, because God has called us to serve his church. Look at chapter one, verse one. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. We've already talked about the fact that, that this church in Corinth was a church in crisis, wasn't it? Within this church, there were fighting and divisions and sexual immorality and idolatry and drunkenness. I mean, the church at Corinth was a mess. They were self-centered and arrogant and proud and immature and divisive. I mean, they were a train wreck of a congregation. Like I said last week, if you and I were in this church, it would have been difficult for us to not just cut and run. But Paul doesn't. Why? Why doesn't he just wash his hands of these guys and say, man, I know I started this church, but you guys are just dirty, rotten people who are just sick with sin. Why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say, you guys are on your own? I don't want any part of this church and what's going on here. I don't want my name attached to anything that has to do with the church at Corinth. Why doesn't he do that? The answer is simple. Because God called him to this church. 
Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called by the will of God. Paul was called by God to serve at this church. And that calling that, God had, that, that Paul had on his life during his earthly ministry, get this, it was often the anchor that kept him places where most people would have cut and run. Call was the anchor that held Paul there. You know, it's very easy for us to let our you know, so-called sense of calling be determined by our circumstances, right? Let's be honest. I, I know a lot of people who say, you know, I feel God is calling me and my family to this church, but uh, the first sign of trouble, they say, you know what? I feel like God's calling me elsewhere. Let's be honest. A lot of times that's the case, right? Pastors are the worst at this. They are. I know of a guy who has been in ministry six years and has served at four different churches. Let me ask you, from the scriptures, is this what we see? Is this what we see in the scriptures? Not from Paul, do we? Let me ask you this. As we look through the scriptures, though I believe God calls us and he equips us to do what he's called us to do, is what he calls us to do always easy? No. Just look at where Paul ends up at times. Was Paul being disobedient when he ends up in prison or when he is beaten and left for dead? No. He was following God. He was going where God had called him to go. And at times, God calls us to places and to do things that are difficult, that are hard. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at David. David was a man after God's own heart, right? He was greatly loved and favored by God. Did, did David have an easy rise to be king? No. Was it God's will that he became king? Yeah. But for 14 years, King Saul and his men hounded David and sought to kill him. Though David had been anointed by Samuel, he was uncrowned and on the run for his life and had to literally hide in caves for 14 years. Sometimes God calls us to, to do things that are, that are hard. Though that's the case, we have to be careful not to let the, the circumstances in life be the deciding factor when it comes to discerning God's call. Does that make sense? Yeah. Believers, God has called you to be a part of and to serve His church. And I know that for a lot of you in here, hopefully a great number of you in here, God will, will call you, if you're not already, to, to plug in here and to, to serve in this church right here at Fellowship. But I want you to know something, okay? I'm just being completely honest. Though this church, I believe this church is a great church. And I, I love the people here. Listen, if you commit to serve here, if God is calling you to get plugged in here at this church and not some other church in town, which by the way, you need to be plugged in somewhere to a Bible-believing church. But if God calls you here to make a commitment and serve here, it's not always going to be easy. It's not. Many people, they come to this church and, and others like it 
and they think, you know, I feel good about this church. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I like the stuff going on here. I like the people here, but, but the first time they're, they're crossed or they hear something they don't like, they say, I'm out. I'm gone. God's calling me elsewhere. Is that Paul's attitude? What's Paul's attitude? I mean, he's dealing with the church in Corinth that is sick with sin, like we said, where sexual immorality is the norm, where people are suing one another. I mean, it's, it's madness. What's his attitude? Does he say, I'm out? No, he says, I'm committed. He says, God has called me here, and I am committed to serve here at this church because that's what God's called me to do. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to serve God's church. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, what about doctrinal issues? I mean, obviously, there are some reasons not to stick around, right? What if the church is just teaching heresy? What do we do then? Well, there are some exceptions to this, and I know that. But we also need to look at the actions of Paul here. The church at Corinth, they were questioning the resurrection. And Paul doesn't just cut out quickly. Now, he takes a stand for truth, which is what we should do. We should stand for truth, for the core doctrines of the Christian faith. And if the church doesn't change their views on that, then yeah, that's a good reason to, to leave. But let me ask you this. Are most people leaving churches over doctrinal issues? No. Unfortunately, many are leaving over issues like carpet color and other petty disputes. Am I right? Maybe you've been a part of, the, uh, of a church that is split over, over something equally as petty. I want to let you know this too. If you are looking for the perfect church, hoping to be called to a church with zero issues, zero flaws, zero sins, you're not going to find it on this side of heaven, are you? We know that to be true. God has called us as believers to serve His church in the good times and in the bad, when times are easy and when times are tough. Second reason why we should not quit on the church, number two, is because God is the head of the church. Look at verses 2 and 3. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an interesting way to begin this book. If Corinth was in trouble, boy, you sure wouldn't know it, would you? By, by the beginning here. I mean, in the first few verses, Corinth... The church in Corinth doesn't seem like a church in crisis, does it? I mean, where's the criticism? you think Paul would begin this, this book by saying, what a mess. You guys call yourself a church and you act like this? I mean, that's the kind of criticism we might want to give, right? And often do. But Paul doesn't. Look at how he begins this letter. He begins with this standard greeting he gives to all the churches. He says... Grace and peace 
to you. This was a standard greeting that Paul often gave. It was sort of like saying, may God's grace be with you, or may all things be well with you. And then he calls the church at Corinth the church of God. And he refers to the believers at Corinth as those who are sanctified in Christ and those who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, Paul knew the issues in this church, didn't he? Yeah. Paul knew about their gross sin. He knew they weren't representing Christ the way that they should, and it wasn't as if Paul began this letter and then received a report about how messy things were, and he changes his tone. No. Paul knew about the issues in this church. So if that's the case, why does he begin his letter in this way? Why doesn't he just wash his hands of these guys? Well, we talked about earlier, God had called Paul to this church, right? But the second reason why he came to the aid of the church at Corinth is because this church is God's church. The church at Corinth is God's church. Look at what he says in verse 2. To the church of God. Not the church I planted. Not the church of Aquila and Priscilla. Not the church of Apollo. No, he says this church, the church at Corinth, is God's church. And he wants the Corinthians to realize this. He wants those who are a part of this church to know you guys are not just another face in the crowd. You're not just another group of godless Corinthians, even though you're taking part in some godless acts. No, you are God's church. You are special because you are followers of Christ and you belong to the one true God. Let me ask you this morning. Again, I asked this last week. How do you feel about the church? More specifically, how do you feel about this church? When you think of this church, do you think of this church as God's church? It is. This church is God's church. Do you consider it to be a privilege to be a part of this church because it's God's church? I think we should, but we don't often do. One of the reasons I know this to be the case is because when conflict happens, what, 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 what people tend to do is kind of separate themselves from the church and point back and say, man, that's a mess over there. Look at that. I don't want any part of that. Let me ask you this. If you saw a close friend or a family member in a tough spot, would you just separate yourselves from them and point at them and say, man, you're a mess. I don't want any part of that. Is that the way you would respond? I would hope not. Hopefully you would come to their aid. Get this, this is so key. The same needs to be true in our dealings with the church. I mean, this is our family. It's our family we're talking about. If you knew the church at Corinth better than the Apostle Paul, we're told in Acts 18 that, that during Paul's second missionary journey, he had spent a year and a half with this group of people and the whole time he was with them he was teaching them the word of god not holding back anything he he just he spent his whole time just giving them the true gospel and as a result paul saw many 
in this godless city called out by Christ and, fo- and, and many followed him. And, and why he refers to them as both sanctified and saints is because these were men and women who had been called out by God and who had been set apart for his purposes. That's what it means to be sanctified. That's the reason why Paul doesn't write this church off. That's the reason why he doesn't just sit back and and criticize. He sees that these are people, though they they are struggling and in need, this is God's church. And he rushes to their aid. May that be true of us. May we not be quick to cut out on God's church. When the going gets tough, may we rightly see this church for what it truly is, the family of God, and may we rush to its aid. Third reason why we're not to quit on the church is because God is a God of grace. Look at verse 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ. Like I said last week, there, is, there has always been issues in the church, hasn't there? First century had issues, second century, fourth, 18th, 19th, 20th. Church has always had issues because the church has always been filled with sinners, saved by grace, but who still struggle with sin. Though the penalty of sin has been removed from God's people, the the presence and the power of sin are still very much a a reality. That was definitely the case with the Christians at Corinth. Well, how does Paul respond to them? Look at verse 4 again. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Once again, that's sort of unexpected, isn't it? Because this group of people were told were getting drunk, they were committing lewd acts, and they were just fighting and bickering with one another. Let's be honest, this would be a hard group to love, wouldn't it? If we're honest. But Paul says he is thankful for them. Why? Let's read on. What does he say here? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ. Now, I think this is sort of a backhanded compliment that Paul pays the Corinthians here. He's not so much saying you guys are great as he is saying God's great for putting up with you guys. Can't we all thank God for that? Isn't God great for putting up with us? I mean, we mess up a lot, but you know what? His grace is enough. Now, in saying that, let me say this. Oftentimes when believers talk about grace, they only talk about the fact that there's nothing they can be forgiven of. They think grace is solely that which shows up when you've blown it. They, they kind of have this mentality, to err is human and to forgive is divine. That's just what God does. Many only view grace as God just continuing to bless sinful people. They think that's all God does. Well, if that were the case, think about it. That would do nothing more than just encourage us to continue in disobedience and rebellion, wouldn't it? One thing Leslie and I try to do with with our girls is we try to avoid rewarding bad behavior because it would confuse them. If Ava, every time she knocks her little sister down, gets a new toy, she's going to begin to think, 
bruised and battered sister equals new toy. That wouldn't be good, would it? No. Instead, what we try to do is we try to step in and encourage her to not do the wrong thing before she does it. Parents, you ever see your kid and they have that look in their eye? You know they're about to do something they're not supposed to? And you step in and you go, uh-uh, don't even think about it. That's God's grace. That's what God's grace is for us as well. Not just something that shows up when we blow it, but something that shows up beforehand so we don't blow it. That's the, that's the beautiful side of grace. It's the power from God to resist sin and live for God. Now, before Christ, we didn't have this. We didn't. Scripture says that, that we sinned against him. We did nothing but sin against him. We had an inability to honor him because we were going at life on our own and not living under, under his lordship, under his rule and reign. And that in and of itself is sin. But after trusting in Christ, God grants us the grace needed to resist temptation and live for him now we still we still struggle right we still mess up but we're, we don't feel good about it our want to's change our desires they change that's what God's grace is it's both the desire and the ability to live for God and you know what Paul does not quit on the believers at Corinth because he knows although they've blown it although they've messed up they belong to God they have within them the grace needed to resist temptation and live a life that honors God that's why he comes to their aid and in this book he urges them to turn from their sin resist temptation and live for God believers that needs to be our attitude as well when thinking about God's church when we see the church struggling, people struggling with sin, we need to be patient. We need to show mercy to God's people when they mess up. You know, at times, unfortunately, we can be some of the most judgmental and ungracious people, can't we? We can, if we're honest. Times we, can act, we act as if we have never experienced uh, grace and the mercy of God because we we fail to grant it to others even though it's been freely granted to us but on top of that we need to also understand that God's people they have the grace necessary to live lives that honor God they do and because that's the case instead of writing God's people off when they mess up, we need to come to their aid and challenge and encourage them and pray for them that they would turn from their sin, resist temptation, and live for God. Fourth reason we should not be quick to quit on the church is because the church is gifted. Look at verse 5 through 7. Paul says that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. I, I love the way Paul handles himself here because one of the major conflicts in the church at Corinth was on the issue of spiritual gifts. It was. 
And I'm not going to go into much detail right now because I'm going to explain it later on in the book. But just know this, at this time, the spiritual gifts were being greatly and horribly abused by the people of Corinth. And they were causing all kinds of problems in the church. But notice how Paul handles this issue. Once again, his response is sort of shocking, isn't it? He thanks God for these gifts. He gives thanks for the very things that have been causing so much problem and so much trouble. We learn a valuable lesson from Paul here when, when dealing with this issue at Corinth. <clears throat> Oftentimes, churches think it's just easier to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We do. We have a tendency just to take any and everything that could potentially cause problems or has caused problems and just kick it out, just throw it out, avoid it at all costs. But Paul doesn't do that here, does he? He doesn't avoid talking about spiritual gifts, but he begins this letter thanking God for the gifts they have. And the reason why is because Paul saw the spiritual gifts for what they truly are. Good gifts from God that are beneficial for his church. It was the believers in Corinth that had taken these gifts and had abused them. Tell another story on Ava. She's at the stage now where she likes to do things on her own, you know? And sometimes she does good, not so much at other times. And, um, but she, she never likes to take the blame when things don't go her way. Uh, for example, the other day she said, Dad, this changer is broken. She was trying to pause her movie. And I know when I hear that, Nine times out of ten, it's not, the issue is not with the device, it's with the one operating the device. And of course, I looked at it and she had the wrong changer. So we switched out and she paused her movie. Well, Paul makes the point here that the issue at Corinth is not with the spiritual gifts. It's not, it's with those who are using the gifts. He's already made clear here that gifts are good gifts from God that are beneficial to his church. Paul is, is thanking God for these gifts because he knows as the Corinthians mature in their faith, these gifts are no longer going to cause problems and divisions, but they're going to help the church. They're going to grow the church. He knows that they are gifted. Church at Corinth are as gifted as any church he's planted but what they lack is spiritual maturity and we learn a very important lesson here listen you can have all the talent in the world right but if you lack maturity you're eventually going to fall and paul did not want to see the church at corinth crumble because they had so much potential which is why he comes to their aid and he says you guys are gifted you have every gift you need to make a huge impact in this godless city for Christ, but you lack maturity. You lack maturity. Notice Paul's optimism here. He's extremely optimistic, isn't he? He knows with greater maturity, this church is going to make a huge impact for God. Let me, let me ask you this morning, ask yourself this. Do I share Paul's optimism when I look at the church. I mean, Corinth, like I've said already, they were a train wreck of a congregation. 
But Paul comes to their aid and he's optimistic that God is going to do a great work and then through this church, if they would just mature in their faith. You feel the same way about this church? God wants us to view his church in this way as a group of people who have been gifted by him who with greater maturity can make a huge impact in this world for him. Final reason why we should not quit on the church is because God finishes what he starts. Let me explain what I mean here. Look at, look at verses 7 through 9. Paul says, As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul does not quit on the church. You know why? Because he knows God finishes what he starts. Paul gives the Corinthians a great word here. He basically says, hey, look, God's not finished with you guys. Though at this point in time, the Corinthians were not even close to to being where they needed to be spiritually. Paul says this, a day is coming when you're going to be guiltless. That word translated is also translated blameless. And what it means is to be without charge or unimpeachable. Paul is not just talking about being acquitted here. He's talking about one day this group of believers is going to stand. They are going to stand before God without charge and without accusation. Now, they sure didn't look that way at this time, did they? They just sure didn't look blameless. I mean, the church at Corinth, it had problems, and the Corinthian believers were to blame. Am I right? But Paul says here, God is not finished with you guys. Though things are a mess right now, though you're still struggling with sin and not where you need to be spiritually, you need to continue to press on because there is coming a day when God is going to finish the work He is doing in you and you're going to stand before the Lord blameless. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are in Christ. So Paul does not quit on the church because he is confident in the faith of the in, in the faith of the believers in Corinth. He's confident in the finished work of Christ and he's confident in the faithfulness of God. Look at what he says in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Like we've said already, Paul was there when the Corinthian church was started. He was there when God first called them out. He was there when they had been set apart. And and Paul knew that when God calls someone to salvation, he is faithful to that call. He finishes what he starts. In, In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, Paul says, And those whom God called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So when you're just fed up with God's people messing up and you're fed up with with the church missing the mark time and time again, let me encourage you to have the spirit of Paul. Have Paul's spirit in you. Continue to plug away. Continue 
to serve his church and be faithful and trust that though we don't always do what we're called to do, we're not always faithful to do what God has called us to do. God is faithful to do in us what he has promised to do. He's going to finish what he began in us as people. Let me end with this. I said earlier, there's going to come a day when each and every one of us are going to stand before God. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning individually is, am I ready when that day comes? When you appear before Him, will you be considered guiltless or guilty? As the one to blame or blameless? Some will say, well, hope I'm considered blameless done the best I can in this life, surely that'll be enough for God. I can tell you this, with certainty from His Word, it won't be. Your good deeds, it says in Scripture, our good deeds, according to God, are, are just, uh, they're, they're, they're filthy rags. It's the way He views our, our good deeds. What we need is a a righteousness outside of ourselves. We need to be right with God. And the good news is we can be made right with Him through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Christ came to earth to be our substitute through His life and death and resurrection. He has made a way for us to God when there seemed to be no way. And if this morning, if you would turn from your sin and trust in Him alone for salvation, listen, you can have your past forgiven, you can have your present transformed, and you can have your future secure. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so thankful that you have not quit on us. So thankful for your faithfulness. So thankful for your goodness. So thankful for your mercy. So thankful for your grace. So thankful for your love. Father, we are so undeserving. But we praise you for the fact that you do not quit on us. And Father, I pray that we would seek as a church to be imitators of you and that we would not quit on each other. Father, I pray that you would place in us the spirit of Paul who when faced with a mess of a situation in Corinth, he didn't say, I'm out. He said, I'm committed. Father, give me that spirit. Give us all that spirit. If there's anyone in here this morning who does not know you, Father, I pray that today be the day that allegiances change in their life. Today be the day that they turn away from their own desires and going at life on their own, and they turn to you and trust in the person and work of Christ alone for salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close.